Welcome back to the Compass live stream. By far the best and possibly the only live stream exclusively focused on proof of work mining. Uh, my co-host Will Foxley is not here today because he had more important things to do. Um, I'm joking. He's actually traveling for work at the moment. So you're stuck with just me. But we're talking about one of the most important issues in our industry, uh, the mining industry in the past year or so or more. Um, mining's migration out of the east to the west, specifically the US. And for this conversation, I'm joined by two CEOs who run two of the world's largest mining companies, uh, Jason Lez of Riot Blockchain and Fred Teal of Marathon Digital Holdings. Uh, Jason and Fred, thanks so much for taking the time to come on here. Um, I'm pumped for the conversation we're going to have. Absolutely. Here. Yeah. Um, so I had some, I don't like to plan these conversations too much, and I had some general ideas, you know, for uh, topics to chat about. But before we get to that, there is... Lots of news coming out of D.C. over the past week, um, specifically the past 48 hours with this infrastructure bill sort of being held up by, of all things, a cryptocurrency amendment um, dealing with, uh, I mean, specifically for us and what we focused on, how it treats miners, um, but more broadly, how it treats the entire cryptocurrency industry um, in terms of taxation and other information reporting requirements. Uh, really quick, I, I just want to get your perspectives on sort of how you see this particular bill um, in terms of how it treats miners and the crypto industry in general, but also, you know, the the, the, <laughs> the power plays we've seen made over the past couple of days with Treasury and the White House supporting a counter amendment to an original amendment produced by pro-crypto senators to fix uh, the original bill that was pretty terribly written. And that even is probably an understatement, like all of this going on, uh, maybe first to you, Jason, and then Fred, like, how, how are you thinking about all of this from the position you sit in as CEO of a mining company and also as like a Bitcoin enthusiast and investor? What are your thoughts? Sure. I mean, first off, like you said, it's pretty incredible to see this amount of attention around cryptocurrency. Like thinking back to older days of Bitcoin, I would never imagine that all of a sudden a cryptocurrency amendment is holding up like one of the biggest pieces of legislation of the year right now. Uh, so pretty incredible that uh, the industry has grown to this level. I think, um, hey, I think governments like to tax things. And I think simply that this kind of original amendment was an attempt to try and increase the government's uh, ability to observe, monitor, and collect tax revenue. Because this industry is so new, because this is difficult to understand, I think we had a piece of legislation written that was just a total disconnect from that. I mean, you have a definition of a broker being written so broad to, as you know, critics pointed out, um, could account for miners, for hardware developers, for software developers, for node operators. I mean, that is not you're not getting tax revenue from there. Bitcoin <laughs> miners, you know, right. We receive packets from our pool. We do work. We send it back. We have no idea what transactions are going on or anything about that. So I think a, a misunderstanding of how a lot of this stuff works, unfortunately, drove a lot of that. It's encouraging to see so much pushback to that amendment. It's encouraging to see that there are allies in um, the Senate and in, in Congress or working uh, new versions around to try and fix this. But, you know, from my perspective, ideally, uh, as a Bitcoiner, there would be no amendment uh, whatsoever. But here we are, and it's a uh, quite incredibly uh, fierce battle that's being fought right now. Yeah, it's like you said, it's I mean, they have a totally unenviable job, in my opinion, the, the crypto lobbyists and think tanks in D.C. I would not want to change places with them in a minute, um, but they're doing a lot of great work. And I think like no one really argues. Yes, taxes are annoying at times, but no one argues paying taxes is like not a good thing. Like we all pay taxes. That's that's not really the discussion. The discussion here is the horribly drafted language of the bill in terms of what it covers and how it addresses them. Fred, how, how do you think? Excuse me. How are you thinking about this bill in terms of what it covers and the language in it? Oh, you know, I think uh, this was um, an interesting uh, attempt by a bipartisan group to figure out how to fund something. And hmm. the one group of people, you know, the Republicans certainly didn't want uh, a tax increase uh, to drive funding, but this had to be <clears throat> revenue neutral for the Treasury. And so taxing more crypto transactions was an easy way in many people's minds, I think. 
to try and generate some revenue. And if you look at the uh, scoring that's happening, you know, in Washington, they score different bills based on how much revenue they'll generate, what their cost is, et cetera. The scoring on this bill, if you effectively remove proof of work miners uh, from this bill, the scoring says that that would decrease the 28 billion of revenue down to five, down by $5 billion, which I, I don't understand because crypto miners are never <laughs> going to pay taxes. You got to realize that, and Jason said it very clearly, you know, we process transactions. We're not sending money to people. You know, we get yeah. paid by the blockchain to process transactions and that bitcoin sits in our treasury uh just as it does in jason's and most of the miners you know we hold our, our bitcoin and so it's not like we're shipping it around to people uh you know if you operate a pool as marathon does yes we do full kyc aml on anybody who joins that pool but um that's a different story because in a pool you are distributing bitcoin but from a reporting perspective um when you think about this you know the the exchanges and the intermediaries in the industry, um, broadly speaking, crypto, not just Bitcoin here, so DeFi, et cetera. There's a definite need for more regulation to come in regarding consumer protection and all that. And taxes will get paid, collected and paid and reported on that. Um, you know, miners reporting blocks that we win, you know, anybody can look on a pool and see who won what blocks. So we're so transparent as an industry. I, I don't think there's a downside. That being said, I think what I'm very excited about in all this is the voice of the Bitcoin and the mining lobby has been heard clearly in Washington. And we do have a voice. And I you know, commend the Digital Chamber and Perry Ann Boring and her team for the hard work they've done in kind of getting that voice out there, you know, communicating with Senator Portman and some of the other senators and really driving uh, the agenda for the mining industry. So I think that's great. At, at the end of the day, you know, government is always going to seek ways to generate revenue to pay for programs that they want to have. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, they decided to come after the crypto community. And I think, you know, the strength of the Bitcoin and crypto community has, you know, raised, stood up, raised their hands and are sharing what they think. So... Yeah, I agree. Like, like, you know, j just before this podcast, you tweeted out that you had, you know, ha heard some commentary from a DC insider. Uh, you want to share maybe as much as you can about what you're hearing about the climate around this bill? Yeah, for sure. So I, um, I mean, I know almost as much as, as you guys do. Uh, I try to stay up last night to follow some of the conversation on Twitter and it, like there's, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of heavy hitters lining up against or in support of the counter amendment. Basically the original bill was pretty bad. The new amendment from a bunch of different senators who we know are friendly and support our industry and what we're building, um, was introduced. And then sort of at the last minute, the 11th hour, this counter amendment was introduced. And then you had the white house and the treasury all throwing their weight behind the counter amendment. So it's, it's definitely for us a very steep uphill battle is basically what they're saying. Um, they're not counting us out of the fight yet, but it, it may not uh, may not end up how we want. I, like so I say we in terms of the industry, like I mean, for better or probably for worse, like they carved out proof of work mining. So like we on this call here are probably going to be OK regardless. But like that's not the outcome anyone wants. Like we are an industry. We want everyone to be treated fairly and we don't want. Uh, like Damien, our producer, who's off screen right now, and I were chatting. We don't want the government to sort of pick like TCP/IP is the winning protocol for the internet. This is the one we're using. Just like we don't want them to pick proof of work. This is the the protocol that we will allow in the U.S. Um, it'll be it'll be tricky, but I I do want to hand it back to you, sort of in with all of that context. Uh, like, are you? So yes, this bill is not sort of pro progressing under ideal circumstances, but also we have very loud, very strong, and loyal voices in DC supporting us. Like balancing those two things, are you like worried at all about the political climate and its development over the next decade? I guess in the U.S. Um, or or not really? Is this just sort of a bit of a pain in the in the neck, but something that will be resolved? What do you think, uh, Fred? And then maybe Jason. Um, yeah, it's not, I, I think the as we look at this whole situation, you know, this industry is going through some major changes, right? The China situation was a huge change. You know, you all of a sudden see the, uh, the center of gravity of mining uh, moving 
towards the West versus the East, which I think was a great thing for the blockchain, not just the security of the blockchain, but also for the continued decentralization of the blockchain. Um, and I think that, you know, the growth of mining in North America is a super positive thing. Um, and I think we're going to be right back on the sort of growth in mining, especially if the price of Bitcoin continues to grow, uh, you know, towards 60 the way it's headed right now. Um, you'll certainly see more and more players coming into this industry. I think you're going to see a lot of you know, uh, power providers actually coming into this industry as Bitcoin miners now because the single largest input cost, they've got everything to win by coming into the industry. And I, I think you're going to see a lot more of that. So there's going to be a lot more miners coming into the industry. Um, I think from a regulatory perspective, the industry is maturing also. I think you look at all of the various programs going on between banks, um, between payment companies, um, and uh, at the layer two level now, more and more uh, different applications coming that are going to run on whether it's Lightning or directly on uh, the blockchain. There's so much happening in the in this industry as it matures that uh, some of this legislative stuff becomes noise, really. Um, mm. I think it's kind of like a uh, any large um, uh, motion, if you think uh, about it, to use kind of a physics term. You know, there is so much momentum right now in Bitcoin uh, across so many places that it's very hard to stop it. And I think what mm. we're going to continue to see is just growth and things happening. And you're going to try and see certain regulators try and apply restriction and control to it. And it's going to be a, an interesting development over the next few months to see how Gensler um, moves forward with ETFs or, or rather more closed end funds. I think it is what the model is going to be most probably. Um, and I think he's applying a very prudent perspective on this. And we're going to see Bitcoin um, most probably having a lighter time from a regulatory perspective than DeFi and some of the other sides of the industry. So as a miner, I'm very optimistic, very positive. I think this is just growing pains of any industry. You know, being one of the older gentlemen, not from time in the mining industry, but just from time in the technology industry. Uh, you know, I remember the internet in 1995. I remember where we were, what it was. Wow, you set up a website. That's really cool. <laughs> um, we're still there with, you know, crypto and Bitcoin. Uh, it's 1995, and I think we've got, uh, we're at that part of the S-curve where the inflection is just about to hit now uh, in a big mm. way. And I, I'm super excited and pumped. And I think, you know, companies like Marathon, Riot, you know, all the other miners uh, are just, you know, super excited to be here. And, uh, you know, part of it is we're trying to hang on to our hats as this thing grows. But uh, <laughs> I'm excited. So I don't know if that was the answer you were looking for. But <laughs> no. <laughs> It was. It was. I, I mean, I agree with almost all of that. I think it's annoying. Uh, some of this legislative policy uh, news, uh, it's definitely growing pains for sure. On our side, sort of dealing with this regulatory environment, uh, growing pains on their side, sort of learning and keeping up with everything we're doing. Um, I don't know, Jason, what do you think? Are you are you worried long time, optimistic long time, a little bit of both, depending on how it shakes out? What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I'm certainly optimistic. Um, I think what, as Fred, you know, introduced, we're, we're in a totally disruptive and new industry. This technology, it, it's almost, it's almost, you often find these challenges getting uh, people on board the system because it's such a new concept to understand. The fact that Bitcoin has value. I'm sure we all have conversations all the time. That's just like, why does Bitcoin have value? And explaining those mechanics, explaining how this system works uh, is complicated. And, you know, you introduce a friend to Bitcoin, you're getting follow up questions all the time. Well, wait, what about what about this? Or what about how does this work? So it's uh, it's a real challenge. And what we're seeing that is that 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 challenge to understand is being manifested through regulation right now um, because it, Bitcoin is gaining steam because it is succeeding in its mission. Now it's getting focused. And what does government do? It reacts. So I think, um, you know, regulation is certainly a challenge, but I am very encouraged by the allies that we have in government. I, uh, I, I would not have predicted that we would have the support that we have, uh, you know, a few years ago, it's it's amazing to see uh, senators like uh, Senator Loomis out here and uh, others fighting for the cause. So um, I'm I'm very encouraged in that regard, and that makes me optimistic that these growing pains, as Fred said, you know, we'll we'll work through these and uh, we'll come out better from the other side. 
for sure. Uh, Fred, the chat's agreeing with you that we're, uh, we're in 1995 now. Um, feels 100% the same way, they said. So I, I won't lie, that's uh, right around when I was born. So I can't claim to have any memory <laughs> of, of that time, but I'll, uh, I'll take your all's word for it. Um, I want to move on to a couple questions uh, that we can sort of label as, as shilling your bags. Um, basically, I want to know like what you guys have been up to. Um, some growth we've seen from Marathon and Riot. Um, and like, I mean, in general, like the actual digital assets, cryptocurrencies themselves have seen a lot of adoption. But in terms of, I mean, beyond just year two companies, public mining companies in general have just seen a ton of uh, trading volume and price appreciation and general investor interest um, over the past, uh, like almost two years, a little over two years, I guess. Um, so can you give us like quick updates, uh, Fred, start with you and then go to Jason on like marathons and riots year to date growth, um, growth since the big market crash, March of 20 um, and sort of uh, where, where y'all are headed. Sure. Um, so, you know, March of 20, uh, you know, I can't tell you off the top of my head uh, the number of Bitcoin we produced, but it, it wasn't a lot. And now last month we did 442 Bitcoin um, and we're only really kind of getting started. You know, at this point, we have about two exahash deployed uh, of our nearly 13 exahash that we have in process of deploying between now and mid next year. Uh, so we're very obviously focused on hitting the accelerator pedal. Uh, you know, we're very focused on the fact that this is an industry that's kind of a zero-sum game in the sense there are only 900 Bitcoin made per day. And as we move from 100 exahash of global hash rate to 150, 160 at the end of this year and potentially 250, 260 at the end of next year, if uh, you know we don't continue to add mining capacity, our revenues will shrink in BTC terms, not in dollar terms necessarily, but in BTC terms. So we're very focused on keeping our pedal to the metal, so to say, on um, on that side. And, uh, you know, that's the really the focus of our efforts is, you know, growing a very profitable business and, uh, you know, reaping the benefits of the current mining situation where the hash rate's still low compared to where it was on a trend basis before uh, to try and maximize that. Uh, but we're also super excited about some of the other things that are going on technologically around mining, you know, some of the um, renewable energy projects that we're starting to see um, great mixtures of renewables with um, grid renewable feeds. Uh, we're really excited about what's happening in places like Texas, uh, but also in other places. Um, you know, there's a lot of really interesting happening, I think, um, to the benefit of areas where, um, you know, previously there hasn't been a real uh, reason uh, to build renewable energy uh, because there are no consumers for it in those regions. And now all of a sudden with, you know, Bitcoin achieving kind of um, the ability to really convert energy into money the way it does as efficiently, all of a sudden we're starting to see get invitations to projects where there are no consumers for the power. It's designed purely for Bitcoin purposes and for mining and data center operations. And I think we're going to see more of those, uh, some great things going on with geothermal energy. Uh, there are even some interesting things going on in the world of nuclear that I think we'll see the benefits of in the next few years. So, um, you know, this industry, as I kind of said earlier, it's changing, it's professionalizing, it's institutionalizing. Um, you know, you're seeing power companies, utility companies coming into mining, you're seeing companies like Riot and ourselves continue to grow, you know, core merging with uh, block capital, you know, all of these big companies, you know, applying huge amounts of capital uh, to this um, just says to me that, you know, the, the business is kind of exploding. However, you know, there are only 900 Bitcoin made a day. And at the end of the day, um, scale is what's going to drive uh, really, I think, long-term viability as a mining company, uh, whether you vertically integrate like Riot does, which is a great strategy, or whether you just do pure play mining like we do. Um, you know, different flavors of the same thing. Um, but I think scale is what's really going to drive this going forward. So, For sure. Yeah. I, I do want to get into uh, some of the, the variations or differences in, in both of your, uh, your business types. Uh, but first, Jason, can you give us uh, kind of a high level overview of what you guys have been up to um, past year plus um, and, and where you're headed? 
Yeah, I mean, like Fred said, scale incredibly important in Bitcoin mining. Uh, we have entered into a, a number of purchase agreements to expand our uh, self-mining operations over the past 12 months. We're, I think we're coming up on about the one-year anniversary of the first major uh, order we placed in 2020 with Bitmain. So we've been receiving miners, uh, thousands of miners on a monthly basis, and uh, previously deploying them at the Coinment facility in upstate New York and now focused on deployment at the Windstone facility that we recently acquired uh, at the end of May. Um, so very focused on expanding our hash rate, but with the acquisition of Windstone, where we now have a lot of focus on the infrastructure side of the game as well. Infrastructure, I mean, I'm sorry, Windstone has a total capacity of 750 megawatts. They've built out 300 megawatts so far. We announced last month that we are hitting uh, pedal to the metal there, starting construction on four additional buildings, adding another 400 megawatts to that site. So that has really been a major focus for us over the recent weeks is getting those projects going. Um, there's been a tremendous amount of work going on at that site, earthwork being done, concrete being laid, cabling being done, substation expansion going on. There, there, there's, a, there's a lot. It's a um, that the site has quite a lot of activity on it. So we're very focused on increasing that infrastructure to not only support Riot self-mining operations, we have miners that are coming in over the next 14, 15 months or so, uh, but also uh, to give ourselves optionality with the infrastructure. Um, with the acquisition of Winstone, we, we've gotten into the hosting game as well. Uh, Winstone hosts a, a number of institutional hosting clients. So we're, we're, we're building this capacity and then kind of deciding what we want to do with it from there. We can expand our self-mining operations. We can expand the hosting side of the business. Um, all we know is that infrastructure seems to be in high demand right now. So uh, for, for lack of a, a better phrase, or I should say that kind of age-old phrase, uh, if you build it, uh, they will come. So that's what we're focused sure. on now. Sure. That, that's a great way to describe it. Um, I'm, I'm here in Austin. I actually just visited your, uh, your Winestone facility there a couple days ago, met some of the, the team, uh, great site. And, uh, for both companies excited to see your growth. Um, I'm, I want to know maybe like a little bit of a deeper level. So we have obviously this massive crackdown in China, this massive global shuffle of hash rate around the world and a lot of it coming to the U S like, from from both of your sort of positions where you're sitting looking over the mining sector, like amid this crackdown, the scramble to relocate, what are the opportunities you've seen and capitalized on, but maybe more interestingly, opportunities you've seen that haven't you haven't capitalized on or sort of you set aside or maybe haven't been able to capitalize on um, basically all the opportunities you've seen in general. Um, can you just uh, give me a little bit of insight into what you've seen play out from, from running both your companies? Uh, maybe back to you, Jason, and then Fred. Yeah, as Fred said, you know, it's a zero sum game and there's just fixed 900 Bitcoin that are up for grabs every day. So there has been an incredible opportunity for Bitcoin mining that has come from literally just being the same. Like over the past 60 days, as long as you were not in China and you were in an area where you continue to mine, you had a massive opportunity you could you could take advantage of. So um, what we're really excited about is the increasing uh, footprint of a Bitcoin mining in North America, in, in the United States. I think we all saw that coming anyways. Companies like Marathon, Riot, others ordering so many miners getting ready to deploy in North America over 2021 and beyond. And the exodus of mining of China has just been a major tailwind in that direction. So we're seeing something that I think is great. We have so much adoption um, of Bitcoin in North America, users, businesses, uh, institutions using it as a uh, treasury management tool. There should be infrastructure underneath that. There should be Bitcoin mining infrastructure underpinning that adoption in the same location. So uh, very excited to see that. And for us, I think the major opportunity is um, I, I, I think the hosting business. I think it's a interesting tool to kind of get increased exposure to Bitcoin through Bitcoin mining that is not necessarily as capital intensive. It doesn't have a hundred percent of the same upside as self-mining, but it is still a very interesting strategy going about it a different way. So we're, we're, we're weighing both of those. Um, we haven't entered into any new hosting agreements yet. So to, to that part of your uh, uh, question, Zach, it's not like we have, uh, you know, fully stepped through one of those opportunities, but we're evaluating the marketplace and we're going to do what we think is best for Ryan. 
Sure. Sure. Fred, uh, same question to you. Opportunities you've seen and sort of capitalized on or passed on or are still considering? Sure. Um, you know, I think you've got a lot of things going on. On the one hand, with the you know the China shutdown, you all of a sudden had uh, a lot of supply chain in mining hardware free up, which we took advantage of recently with our, our latest purchase. Um, you're also seeing uh, a you know, extended delays, I'd say, in some of the infrastructure regarding hosting in North America, lead times on transformers, switch gear, stuff like that. Um, and the people to do it, I think, are extending out as everybody's growing. I mean, Jason just talked about the, the huge expansion they're doing at Windstone, which is great. I love the videos that Chad puts out, by the way, every day. Those are great. Uh, it's great to see the progress there. But just like Windstone is growing, there are lots and lots of facilities growing. You know, most probably I have two or three calls a day with somebody who has 100 megawatts, 200 megawatts. They're considering building a hosting facility. There, there is this pent up demand because of the miners coming from China and other places just wanting uh, capacity. And then all of a sudden there are more and more people seeing the value of being in this industry, whether it's power providers starting to become hosting providers, whether it's hosting providers uh, just growing and expanding. I think there are tons of opportunities there. Um, and, you know, I think we are uh, possibly coming into a bit of a phase in the market similar to maybe the last cycle where the profitability looks so good. So many people are coming to this market. Plus, you have this you know, migration to North America that's driving even more I'll call it artificial demand because, you know, when you go talk to a hosting provider, uh, you know, as Marathon or, you know, I'm sure, Jason, if you were to call a large hosting provider, we're a large anchor tenant potentially. So they love to talk to us. Um, if you're a, a new miner coming from China, you don't have credit in the United States, you don't have the ability to pay CapEx to build out. It's hard to get um, hosting deals done. And so I think there are a lot of people building capacity out for demand that may dry up in 18 months as people deploy. And, you know, if the hash rate goes to 300, the global hash rate goes to 300 and, you know, Bitcoin kind of levels off or potentially corrects, not that I'm suggesting it should or would, um, you know, you can have a lot of people with a lot of capital deployed who are all of a sudden going to say, whoops, what's going to happen? So if we repeat the prior cycle, uh, you know, 18 months from now, I'm sure Jason and I are going to be shopping for all sorts of excess capacity that's lying around that's being given away for pennies on the dollar. Um, sure. If you, but it, it might also not happen if Bitcoin goes to $250,000 and it just people think it's, you know, ludicrously silly not to be in this business. Uh, so there are lots of opportunities, but I think you have to be very agile. And, you know, the difference in our strategy to, Maybe what um, Riot does and other people is we want to save 100% of our capital for miners to be able to be flexible in our capacity uh, on that side. Um, and we still have a fairly, uh, let's just say, easy time of finding capacity to host. Mm. Uh, so that hasn't been a, a, a problem for us. And I think it just has to do with scale. Uh, you know, and, you know, public company, less of a credit risk for, you know, well capitalized, no debt, all that sort of stuff. So I, I think it's a, it's a boom time for the industry. And uh, there are going to be lots of different ways to grow. And there are going to be all sorts of exciting things happening. And then there's going to be a cleanup and consolidation period down the down the roadways that I think, you know, again, the well capitalized guys like Riot and ourselves are going to take advantage of. So. Yeah, no, that, ma that makes perfect sense. And I kind of want to ask a question that dovetails exactly off of that point. And I ask it not to sort of have you guys throw shade at anyone, but over the past year, we've seen, you know, what might be best described as a basket of very random companies getting into mining in, in certain certain ways. And like you guys are obviously professional full-time miners, like that's your job. We've had like shipping companies and lifestyle companies and like just a very strange assortment of companies announced that they're just sort of getting into mining in, in some way, shape or form. Like, I guess it's, that's a pretty risky play, but I mean, it's also that there's a huge profitability increase in mining recently. So sort of the incentive makes sense. Um, like, I, I don't know, it's pretty open-ended question. Like, how do you think about these sorts of companies entering the space? Like if you sat down with them to advise them, maybe what would you caution them or warn them on? Like, how do you think about that particular segment of new participants coming into mining versus like the riots and marathons and other companies who, who that's their, the core of the entirety of their business? 
model. Uh, Jason, maybe start with you. Yeah, um, like Fred noted, we could be seeing a play out of the previous cycle and it wouldn't even necessarily need to be based on the price of Bitcoin going down alone. The big price of Bitcoin could stay the same or even go up. But if you have the difficulty rise so much, the, the calculus that people are doing now to guide capital investment is going to look a lot different in 12 months. There's a, a real lag from hash rate deployment from um, a price appreciation in Bitcoin. So I think that I, I think if you're a new entrant to the industry, um, I hope you are getting, reading some history or getting some advice from people who have lived through this kind of stuff to kind of guide, like, hey, you, you can't make too much of a decision based on what the economics look like today because the economics are very fluid. You need to be positioned to survive all sorts of market cycles. And that sounds really obvious, but I really think a lot of people don't fully digest that and take that all the way in. No, they, they kind of just sit where they are at now and they're like, well, as long as Bitcoin goes up 40% a year, which should be no problem, we're going to continue to be profitable at uh, 10 cents a kilowatt hour. But hey, you know, things change. So I, I think you need to be positioning yourself, being very mindful of all of your expenses such that you can survive lots of market conditions and you are not betting solely on a bull market. We are all Bitcoin believers without a doubt. You know, we all see a huge future of Bitcoin. That doesn't mean that any type of Bitcoin mining operation is going to you know, survive uh, over the next 36, 48 months, whatever time period you want to pick. So um, think about the worst case scenario. Don't, don't tunnel vision in on the amazing opportunity right now. Yeah. Yeah. Fred, same question to you. Yeah, definitely concur with everything Jason said. Um, yeah, if not, again, I'll date myself, but you know, you go back to the, the uh, mid eighties, uh, there was a company called Exxon that was, uh, you know, is uh, still a large oil and gas company. They launched a word processor business back in the mid eighties, uh, famously because wow, PCs, Computers, this is a business everybody should get into. You know, it's going to be infinite demand. And, you know, they failed horribly at going into that business. And I think there are, you know, this is not a business for the faint of heart. And, you know, corporate, especially public companies, look at, um, you know, capital allocation. They look at their quarterly earnings statements. And, you know, Bitcoin is a, um, there's a lot of volatility in Bitcoin price. You know, a, a company, whether you look at um, MicroStrategy, you look at ourselves, you know, we hold 6,000 plus Bitcoin on our balance sheet today. Uh, you know, when Bitcoin is at 60,000, we look like a hero for holding our balance sheet. When Bitcoin goes to 20,000, people are wondering, why are you holding all this Bitcoin? <laughs> uh, so that type of volatility in corporate, typical corporate America, you know, imagine a public utility company, a Verizon getting into mining because they have all this excess you know, energy capacity. They're going to deploy it for mining. It helps subsidize some of their operations. You know, the minute there's a gyration in Bitcoin price, you know, it's like, okay, we'll shut that division down. Uh, so I, I think there are a lot of people getting into this business that, to Jason's point, are just looking at the economics today and aren't realizing, you know, in nine, 12 months, by the time they're deployed, things might look very different. And as the global hash rate increases, you know, somebody's going to say, well, when we penciled out this project, we were supposed to generate 10 Bitcoin a day, and now we're only getting three Bitcoin a day. You know, uh, so I, I think there, there are going to be a lot of people who just like in any industry when there's kind of a, a bull market, a lot of expansion uh, that jump into the industry, drive up operating costs for, um, you know, other people. And then to Jason's point, you just have to be very prudent with your capital. You have to be very prudent with your balance sheet. You need to be able to survive through the other side such that when all these opportunities arise to either consolidate the industry or take advantage of just excess supply and whether it's hosting or machines, whatever it might be, um, you're ready to pounce. You know, the other thing uh, we're coming into is a phase in the Bitcoin mining world where there's likely going to be a technology change soon here. You know, you're going to see whether it's geometries on ASICs uh, getting smaller, whether it's uh, miners getting much more efficient. You know that's going to change things also potentially and so now it's a situation of what hardware are you on and you know where are you on the power curve and you know if you are, are you going to you know wait and buy the next generation stuff are you going to deploy now what are you doing and i think you're seeing lots of people doing lots of different things 
Um, and there's most probably no right way to do it um, because nobody knows the future. But I think, uh, you know, there's potential for uncertainty relative to um, what was the right strategy. Um, and I think it's going to be really interesting to see uh, what happens to a lot of these new people coming into the business. You know, uh, I saw one miner who was touting the fact that they had, uh, you know, Bitmain T17 machines that made up, you know, the majority of their pool. And, you know, it just strikes me as, wow, um, that's going to be challenging in a few months time. <laughs> yeah, so. no, absolutely. Yeah. Full time repair team. Yeah. <laughs> um, we have, so chat's loving the conversation. I, I, I want to thank you guys all for the insights and commentary. There's one interesting question uh, for both of you um, that basically asks what would eight or even six cent power mean for, for both of you guys, if sort of the demand for hosting got to such an extreme level that, you know, you're looking at paying six to eight or maybe even nine, 10 cent uh, power for your miners. Like um, I guess expanding that question a little more broadly, like cost of hosting or just self-mining power goes up significantly. Like, how do you plan for that scenario? How do you think through that with all of the demand coming to the U.S.? Um, obviously, power companies are going to want to, you know, meet that demand with a little bit higher price tag at some point. How do you think through that? Um, Fred, maybe just back to you and then Jason. Sure. So, I mean, uh, you know, we work with long-term agreements. So, for example, our Montana facility is a five-year fixed price agreement. We pay 2.8 cents. That's not going to go anywhere. Um, if you look at, um, you know, our blended cost as we've, you know, shared it, it's about four and a half cents a kilowatt hour across, uh, and you know, that's contracted even for our future deployment. So we're locked in price wise. So we don't really worry about it that much. Most PPAs, you know, tend to be five to 10 years anyway. So it's not like you go year to year pricing where, where there are definite difficulties in pricing. I think are some of the folks leveraging hydro in Canada because of the way the Canadian utility rules work, the utilities are promised a fixed return on assets. And so they're reset pricing on an annual basis. So I think if you're a new miner coming into the business and you don't understand this particular issue, um, it can bite you in the rear pretty quickly because you know you go in, you sign up for some you know lost leader power on year one, year two, all of a sudden it's like, whoa, they just doubled the price on me. Um, you know, our cost, to mine a Bitcoin is you know around five thousand dollars. So you double my energy cost, it would be ten thousand dollars. I'm still very profitable as a business based on today's Bitcoin price. Sure. So Somebody yeah. coming into the industry doesn't have that same ability uh, today. So you know, I, I think it's it comes down to experience and you know writing your agreements uh, so that you have certainty long term. And you know, I, I have to assume that you know that's how any of the, the, the larger institutional miners are operating. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, six to eight cents, that is a, a pretty strong margin right now. Uh, if you're running S19 generation hardware, six to eight cents is giving you a pretty strong margin in Bitcoin mining. Um, you know, like Fred, uh, Riot has through Windstone, part of our power strategy in Texas is a long-term power purchase agreement. Uh, that, that market has a, a, a bit uh, more dynamic than most markets has a number of different tools inside of it. So fixed power purchase agreement is only part of the uh, power strategy, but it is a big and an, an important part to kind of, like Fred said, secure that energy um, going forward. You don't want to be merchant buying power uh, for five years. Imagine if you were buying merchant power in Texas in February when it shot up to, you know, $9,000 a megawatt hour. I mean, that would just be, that would be insane. So, um, you know, I, I think having that certainty around your power price is important, especially as you know, uh, the market conditions are going to change. And if you have Bitcoin market conditions changing in the wrong direction and your power price is changing in the wrong direction, you aren't going to be in business much longer. You're going to be selling ASICs on Telegram pretty soon. <laughs> sure. No, uh, fair enough. I that uh, I appreciate both those answers and that makes perfect sense. Um, I guess, so I want to move on to a little bit of a different, a little bit of a different discussion talking about mining stocks specifically. But my last question for you about hash rate um, and sort of power being more power being used in the US, more miners coming to the US is this. Um, do you see like before the next having maybe or, or sometime a little bit after that, the US ever 
like claiming over 50% of Bitcoin hash rate. Like we saw that previously in China. Now we have this huge shuffle around the world going and the, the, the miners ending up everywhere from like Kazakhstan to parts of Latin America to a lot of them coming to the U S and Canada. Um, like, do you see that as a, as a real possibility or just sort of a, a potentiality? Um, and would that be a good thing if the U S was to sort of, you know, become China 2.0 in a way uh, where we become sort of an, have an overwhelming majority of the network hash rate uh, controlled by U.S. based miners. Um, Jason, back to you. And then uh, Fred. Yeah, I mean, 50 percent is a big number. I think for the health of the network, I, I would like to see hash rates smoothed out a little more. Besides that, um, the United States has a more free uh, government, has a federalist system that doesn't necessarily the same, carry the same type of risk that a uh, authoritarian regime like, like China might carry with, with regards to you know, how they would crack down in mining. Um, but I, um, I, I think smoothing things out is, is a bit better. I think seeing the United States get to even the, or North America, let's say the 30, 40% would be a huge increase to where we are right now. And I, I think that would be very healthy. Um, considering how much adoption of Bitcoin is is in the United States itself. So um, I I can see numbers trending to that direction um, based on the way things are going. I mean, we just see, like I I know we're going to already talked about, I'll touch on later, so many more public companies starting around Bitcoin mining. That gives them a more efficient access to capital than others. And that allows them to focus so many more resources in this um, jurisdiction, in this geographical area. So I, I, I do see the U.S. footprint, North American footprint increasing substantially, um, 50%, probably uh, probably a little too high. I think that was, you see that in China, that was so much of a function, I think, of the proximity to ASIC manufacturing as well, not not just the cheap energy, but um, certainly I think all of us on this call, movers and shakers of Bitcoin mining in the United States. For sure. Yeah. Fred, 50% likely, not likely trending in that direction. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think high 30s, low 40s is most probably likely where it's going to shake out. Uh, Kazakhstan has grown their capacity you know, of the, let's just say the roughly 50, 60 exahash that was in China, most probably 20 of that went to Kazakhstan already. You can see that in the return of growth in the global hash rate. Um, You're going to start seeing miners who wanted to come to the U.S. who just see the lead time issues and all the other problems uh, of just, you know, the high demand that's here right now and the short supply uh, going to other places. You know, El Salvador is opening their doors, uh, their arms to people who want to come and mine. You just... They have a lag in their deployment of energy, Um, but certainly Kenya is being very proactive. They have a lot of geothermal energy. They're going out and chasing people. And, you know, it it gets back to this issue that any country today that has the ability for access to cheap power, whether that's uh, renewable energy or not, um, that doesn't have consumers for that power is ideal for Bitcoin miners. Now, you can imagine you take a poor country in Latin America or Africa, for example, that has great access to solar or geothermal um, or hydro, for example, you know, look at Paraguay uh, or, you know, look at Peru with, with hydropower, you could develop huge amounts of Bitcoin mining in those countries um, at very low cost. And so I think what you're going to see is while there's this initial kind of rush to the U.S. because from a regulatory perspective, you know, legal regime, uh, you know, electrical industry, all that sort of stuff. There are lots of reasons why this is an attractive place to go. I think as other countries in the world wake up and realize, wow, you know, we can build out solar, wind, hydro, geothermal, uh, nuclear, even whatever it might be, um, you're going to start seeing miners move to the point of lowest cost and least risk, right? So if the U.S. all of a sudden starts pricing miners out either because of capacity constraints or other reasons, they're going to go other places. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, you can put miners on trucks, on ships, in airplanes, and ship them somewhere. So I, I, I think it is a, uh, as somebody once taught me years ago, it's kind of like um, you will always ch- chase the lowest price. And, you know, miners and the power of the Bitcoin network is whether it's a regulator or a power question, you can pick up and move your machines and go somewhere else and mine. And uh, it will continually be a search for efficiency and optimization. 
Sure. No, that, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. I appreciate that answer. Um, and I guess there's no real easy transition here. I just want to talk about other public mining companies. So like the, the, the sector as a whole, um, this slice of the sector, there's, I mean, so I guess I want to preface this by saying it's really easy to get Bitcoin now. Um, I mean, we saw mining companies and non-mining companies sort of as a proxy for people to get access to this space. Um, and the reason why I'm asking this question is because I'm curious if you think a lot of the investor interest in mining companies recently, or how much, how does it shake out? Like, is are, do people really want access to mining specifically? Do they, are they still treating Bitcoin mining companies as sort of a proxy to get access to this industry? Um, and how do you see those two sort of trends, like sort of edging each other out uh, over the next year, I guess, um, assuming we're still in a bull market, Bitcoin's price will continue to appreciate. Um, do people want access to mining? Do they understand mining? well enough to know sort of what they're buying when they invest in Riot and Marathon and others? Or do they just think, hey, it's a Bitcoin company. I have to have, like, I need to own some of this in some way. So I'm going to buy these shares. Um, Fred, back to you. And then Jason, like, how how are you thinking about this investor interest? Sure. So, I mean, if, if you go back uh, a little over a year ago, um, I think our shareholder base numbered, uh, if you go back kind of two, three years, our shareholder base numbered under a thousand most probably. Today, we're at over 240,000 shareholders. 30% of our shareholders are institutions. You know, we announced Fidelity took a 7.4% position. Vanguard has a large position. BlackRock has a large position in our stock. Um, and we're continuing to see uh, those type of institutional investors invest in miners because many times they can't hold Bitcoin. Right. They, they are their charters, their licenses, their rules require them to buy registered equity. So Bitcoin mining is a perfect proxy for Bitcoin. And similar to, you know, um, Warren Buffett and his uh, you know comments about I don't own gold, I just invest in gold miners. Uh, you know, there is a, a, an advantage to investing in the, uh, you know, the most efficient operators in the industry, because you think about it, if our cost to mine a Bitcoin is around $5,000 and Bitcoin is at 40,000 and growing, that's a lot of cash flow in a company. And, um, you know, it, it, it's a whole different ball game, the potential for appreciation in that type of a stock than if Bitcoin goes up 15% and you just hold Bitcoin. So I'm not suggesting that institutions shouldn't hold Bitcoin, they should. Um, but there are lots of ways to hold Bitcoin, right? You can hold public company stocks. You can hold uh, you know, shares in an ETF, closed-end mutual funds. You can actually buy and hold actual Bitcoin. I think you're going to start seeing um, a number of the insurance companies now are offering life insurance and annuity policies with an option to add crypto as a component to that. So now you're going to start seeing custodians like NYDIG and other companies like that, that are going to become very significant players in this industry. You know, JP Morgan um, over Jamie Dimon's own personal dislike for Bitcoin uh, is offering Bitcoin and exposure to crypto to all their clients. That's facilitated through, I believe, uh, NYDIG as well. But this industry is just growing and they're going to be all sorts of proxies for the Bitcoin industry. They're going to be payment companies that are predominantly crypto oriented. They're going to be lots of DeFi companies. You know, uh, BlockFi has been rumored to go public and maybe once they fix their regulatory issues, uh, you know, they will. So you're going to see more and more companies in the space. When it comes to public miners, I think like any industry, you know, go back to the Internet days, go back to the PC days, cell phone days. The industry matures and you're going to coalesce around, you know, five or six players, maybe 10 players control 80 percent of the trading volume of public uh, mining stocks. And, you know, that's going to be that proportion will be driven kind of based on hash rate, I think. And, you know, if you look at, uh, you know, core becoming public, you look at Riot, you look at ourselves, uh, Hive, you, you know, look at some of the other players, you know, that's a lot of exahash right there. That's public. And then you look at all the other guys that are coming into the business, you know, um, uh, TerraWolf via Iconics. Um, you know, you look at um, some of the other ones uh, that are um, coming into this business. You know, every day there's a company going public either via SPAC or acquiring something into a public entity, reverse mergers into shells. So it's it's a boom time. And, you know, those will flush themselves out over time. They're either going to be successful as companies and grow or they won't. Um, and then they'll be consolidated potentially um, by some of the larger players. But this industry is going to mature um, 
institutional investors want to invest in public companies that have high degrees of liquidity because, you know, imagine if you're going to invest 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 million dollars into a company, you want to make sure that company is trading hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars of stock a day, because otherwise it's very hard to get in and out of that position. And so, you know, sure. getting into one of these smaller public mining companies is risky, very risky because of volatility. And but, you know, there's also a need for the institutional investors to be able to hedge their investments in stocks with puts and calls and other strategies. And some of the smaller public companies don't offer that ability because they're too small, their market caps are too small, their stock prices are too low, and they can't do it. So I, I think, you know, the cream at the top of the market is going to continue to demand, uh, you know, the majority of the institutional attention. And, um, you know, that's good for the industry. Uh, sure. And, but I think it's definitely, you know, going public is a great way to have access to capital. But I think it's a very different story when, you know, Jason and I were go back, uh, you know, a year, go back, you know, two years. There weren't a lot of public companies chasing capital that were Bitcoin miners. Yeah. Now there yep. are, I think, by my latest count. Right. And there's so, a there's a bunch. There's competition, right? So it's it's not going to be as easy for the newcomers as they think. I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. I don't disagree uh, with that at all. I think uh, people, newer miners, are going to have a little bit of a more difficult time than they anticipate. Um, sometimes you can get uh, some rose-colored glasses put on you by the, the current profitability of mining. Um, I don't know, Jason. How do you think about sort of your your investor base? Or do they do they just want like indirect exposure to Bitcoin, or do they? I mean broad strokes do they understand mining do they want to own a mining company and sort of know this this segment of the industry uh super well uh, and how are those uh trends changing i guess yeah so i i see like fred said a lot of people want exposure to bitcoin and they can't do it normally they need the legacy financial markets owning stock owning equities uh in order to do that so and i, I think they, they do that not just because oh this is a bitcoin company it's because as bitcoin miners all we essentially do is mine Bitcoin and hold Bitcoin. So we are serving as a proxy. Uh, we're serving as a vehicle to give investors exposure to Bitcoin. Um, so and then you take kind of a deeper level from that. I think the people who really dive into what's going on, they can see Bitcoin mining for what it is. If you are an efficient operator, if you have competitive costs, Bitcoin mining is a tool to accumulate Bitcoin at a discount to market. And if you are doing that over a long period of time, what you're essentially doing is dollar cost averaging into Bitcoin over a very long period of time. And some investors might see that as potentially less risky than just buying Bitcoin itself, let alone the, you know, the custody challenges that a lot of people may have uh, if they're not as sophisticated of a technical user of Bitcoin. Um, Hey, uh, if you, you you know if you don't want to bet on the current price, Bitcoin mining, like I said, dollar cost averaging into Bitcoin over a period of time. So I, I think the industry is maturing, and we are seeing very efficient operators appear in our area, rise up, and are are publicly traded companies like Riot Marathon and you know now Core going public via SPAC. Um, and so I I think that part of the story is now going to become more more apparent that it's not just these guys are buying Bitcoin. and I mean, these guys are mining Bitcoin and holding Bitcoin, so they have an exposure to Bitcoin. It's these companies are efficient operators and they are accumulating Bitcoin more efficiently than uh, other players may be able to. So um, I, I, I think the story is getting out there. Now, I know both Fred and I spend a lot of time talking to investors, a lot of time talking to analysts, which, you know, arguably just as important because these are the type of guys that can tell the story, that can digest it into terms that the broader market is understanding. So um, I, I think the message is getting out there. And there there is certainly a growing interest in Bitcoin mining stocks because of that. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I appreciate those perspectives. Um, it's I mean, people want access to Bitcoin. I think a growing number of people want access to Bitcoin mining specifically. I mean, I think we've done as an industry a pretty good job of sort of, you know, <laughs> Uh, propagating the narrative that it's like this is one of the best times to be a Bitcoin miner, like possibly in history of Bitcoin mining as an activity. Um, it's it's going to be a very fun, uh, very interesting and and 
not a challenge free, but definitely a fun, uh, several years ahead. Um, we're coming up on, on the hour time mark here. Um, I, I kind of want to ask you guys a, a very open-ended question to wrap up. Um, where do you like, where do you see, or what is, if you had to pick one or two particular developments from the mining industry, considering everything we've seen shuffle around, over the past several months between now and the next having um where is it all gonna gonna sort of settle out like if we if we were to hop on a call again um in may 2024 i guess and talk about bitcoin mining then like what would we be talking about the size and scale of the industry um investor media regulatory attention on on us um what would be different between now and then um fred first you and then uh, and then jason uh, so uh, let's say May of 2024. So we've just had the halving. Um, we're most probably looking at a global hash rate around 400, somewhere like that. Um, and uh, you have a business where people are starting to get squeezed out. Um, and so you're starting to see some consolidation uh, in, in the business. And then with the halving itself, uh, you know, again, we don't control the price of Bitcoin. Um, but depending on where it sits, um, if it is, you know, think about it today, we're at, you know, 40 ish thousand, um, we go through a happening. So the price of Bitcoin just to keep revenue flat has got to be at, at 80,000. Right. And then start kind of projecting further, uh, you know, your costs may have changed, you know, what's hardware going to be costing in those days, uh, what's the performance of the hardware curve, what people are where in their technology cycle, um, of their fleets, what's the productivity. And, and it, it, it becomes really a, um, and, and I don't mean to be in any way arrogant when I say this, it, it becomes a big boy business. It really starts becoming to Jason's point, the efficient operators who know how to run their businesses at scale, profitably and are really watching and minding their capital allocations and um, how they're operating are going to be the ones that will survive and dominate through that. Uh, I think a lot of the newcomers to this industry um, are going to learn a lot of lessons that are going to be painful because it is a very capital intensive business. You know, if you think about it this way, that um, if you're going to essentially uh, grow uh, your uh, share of the overall Bitcoin rewards, you have to spend hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars a year just to keep up. So how are you going to do that as uh, a smaller company? Um, and you know, if you're going out and you're going to do your first deployment of, let's just say, 100,000 miners, and you're starting today to do that deployment, and you'll be deployed by you know six months, whenever it is, um, you know you can't reinvest in more miners most probably until you are somewhat operational, and so now you're starting to get behind the curve, and you know what you designed your economics around uh, in today's world will be very different in two and a half years, <laughs> and we're at sure. May of 2024. So I, I think this is going to be a business for the professional miners who can do this at scale efficiently. And I think, uh, you know, uh, if Jason and I are still in this business, we're still going to be talking about it like this month, probably. <laughs> and, you know, we're going to be uh, looking back and saying, gosh, you know, either that played out the way we thought it would or we're going to say, wow, I didn't expect that. But, uh, you know, it's going to sure. be interesting. It's going to be interesting. Sure. Uh, yeah, definitely interesting. I don't know, Jason. What do you? What do you? How do you think it's going to play out? I, I mean, I think this industry is so exciting that no matter what, in four years, we're going to look back and be like, "Wow, I didn't see this coming." Because I mean, that's just the way this stuff happens. Some something, you know, four years ago, we would not have imagined that there's whatever 15, 20 publicly traded Bitcoin mining companies. United States is becoming the new powerhouse in Bitcoin mining. You would have never have thought that in twenty seventeen. Yeah. Um, so, but as far as, you know, other changes I could see happening, I think there will be some sort of pretty big shift in the ASIC market. I think right now for manufacturing efficiencies, we have the same form factor of machines, you know, whether you are mining in your garage or your, you know, riot with tens of thousands of machines deployed, like it, it is the same machine over and over again. And I think as this, in, as this industry grows, um, I think there will be some type of innovation or efficiency achieved there, packing more hash rate into some sort of, you know, single unit. Um, so it's not so much, I mean, 
the, the trash, managing the trash when you're deploying these miners is crazy because they're just coming in one box after another. Um, so I, I think as as Bitcoin mining enters this industrial age, the players get more efficient and bigger. There's now going to be a market, uh, more of a demand for more types of efficient ASICs. And um, I, I think we'll see new stuff like that appear. But I, I don't mean to say that to say that the smaller guy, I think, will get left out from that. I don't think we're going to see hardware that's so efficient that the normal user cannot compete. I just think for economies of scale purposes, for efficiency purposes of larger operations, we'll start to see more offerings like that. Sure. That, that makes a lot of sense too. Um, yeah, I would expect something like that. And the, the trash can definitely be a headache. <laughs> uh, that's, that's funny. Um, well, Jason and Fred, uh, we're at time here. Thank you both so much for chatting on this Friday afternoon. It's been a ton of fun for me. And I know from the chat, our viewers have uh, enjoyed it greatly as well. Um, to everyone watching, Fred and Jason are both on Twitter. Uh, definitely throw them a follow and, and keep up the pace with news on Riot Marathon and, and the, the public mining sector in general. It's a pretty interesting um, segment of the mining space. And thanks for watching. We'll be back next week. Um, and that's a wrap. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you.